You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders. I'm James Nagel, and today my guest is Sharon James. Originally from rural Wales, she is a scientist who stayed in academia until she was 30, before starting a career in multinationals. She has held a variety of R&D leadership roles, most recently as global head at Bayer Consumer Healthcare. She often finds herself as the only woman on leadership teams and hence is a keen advocate for young girls to study STEM subjects. In recognition of her contributions, she is going to receive an honorary doctorate from Swansea University. Sharon is now embarking on a new chapter, splitting her time as a non-executive director, supporting female science-focused entrepreneurs, and some well-deserved me time. As a believer in lifelong learning, a good day for her is when she says at least once, God, I didn't know that. From the moment I reached out to her, it was clear that she brings a real passion to the topic of leadership development. So it's my pleasure to introduce Sharon James. Hi, Sharon. Hi, James. It's really lovely to be talking to you. Great. Well, I can tell you that uh, that bio was a, a tough edit. There's uh, a lot more I could have included. <laughs> <laughs> that was good for me. Okay. So look, let's start by going back to your own experience as a leader. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say was your uh, most formative um, and most relevant to the to the audience we have today? Well, you know, it's very interesting in your intro, right? Um, I was an academic until I was 30, you know, and then I saw the light or whatever I did and I decided to join industry. And my first job, age 30, having been an academic, was basically as a manager to 15 people. And, you know, the whole, the old adage, ignorance is bliss, actually worked in my favor here because I didn't have a clue what it was like to manage people. I'd I'd been in a lab. I'd been, you know, a singleton, if you like. I hadn't any training or development or leadership development. And all of a sudden, age 30, I'm managing 15 people. Um, and I think, you know, the best thing that happened to me at that point was was the actual manager that I had at that point, who is one of these individuals who was a real process freak. Um, day one, he had my training and development schedule sorted. Um, he was an absolute stickler for filling out forms and doing processes and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest, he was exactly the type of manager that I needed at that point in my career. You know, I think if I'd had him any, at any later point in my career, it would have driven me nuts. <laughs> but at that point... Yeah, uh, he, he was perfect, and um, you know he gave me that the basics, the fundamentals on on how to manage people. So uh, yeah, that was very much age thirty, first managerial job, chucked in the deep end, and uh, thank goodness I had the manager I had. And and when you read the bio, it's all success. But were you always a swimmer? Was I always a swimmer? <laughs> Um, gosh, oh, I'd like to 
think I was. Um, you know, it's very interesting carrying on from that tale, you know, because I remember it, almost a year to the day after I started at GSK, we had a massive reorg and my job changed, right? So complete change, new manager, new location. My second manager was probably the polar opposite of my first one. He was the antithesis of my first one. In fact, he was a bona fide blooming maverick. Um, he believed that rules were there to be broken. He believed that processes were there not to be followed. Um, and <laughs> for some reason, he recognised this kind of maverick tendency in me. Um, and I remember he called me into his office one day and he said, Sharon, I got a job for you. And, you know, I'm a neuroscientist at this point, right? I'm in the lab. I'm doing basic research. And he said, I want you to do a business development case for me on whether we should be getting into a certain disease area. And I want you to present it to the board in three months. Now, 80% <laughs> of me kind of went, no. I haven't got a skill set. This isn't my job. I'm a scientist. And 20% of me kind of went, yes, bring it on. I want to do this. I haven't got a clue how to do it. Um, and I remember going out of his office feeling really, really shell-shocked and so many emotions going through my mind, which, you know, ranging from, oh, God, I'm sunk, right? There's no way I can do this. I haven't got a clue to, oh, yeah, right, this is what I want. This is what I want to be doing. Um, and to be chucked into the deep end at that point, you really, really find out whether you can swim. Um, and that was a hell of a learning experience for me. Um, unfortunately, I did swim. <laughs> and, you know, um, I learned so much in that exercise. And um, I, again, another real learning point in my career um, about, you know, how you're led and how you respond to that kind of leadership. Well, they are, they are two very different experiences, but both very powerful. Yeah. And just to, to sort of close off on, on your uh, leadership journey, what um, who, would, who would you consider to be your best boss and what did you learn from them? <laughs> well, you know, I think if I was able to name, I, you know, I'm not able to name that one boss. I think, you know, in those two examples I've given you, it's a little bit of a composite of bosses for me. So boss number one, where I was in my career and the way he managed was what I needed at that time. Boss number two, the maverick, um, knew me a little bit more and knew that I actually would respond quite well to that kind of challenge. And then I think to round off, there's a third boss for me, um, who's the guy that I took over as head of R&D and who again knew me had such a fantastic gentle touch in the way that he managed me. He clearly trusted me. He clearly knew that I didn't need micromanaging. He was there when I needed support. And he'd also really, really support me on my more kind of maverick, crazy ideas 
Um, and I really think he managed me extremely well. So for me, it was a, it's a composite of those three types of managers. And it very much depends at what stage you are as an individual in your career journey. You know, at the beginning, I needed more process support. Whereas at the end, I just needed a manager who was there to listen, who was there to basically say, okay, Sharon, I think that's a good idea. Go with it. Or really? Um, but, I, but I trusted. I believed he had my back. But I didn't need that heavy touch. I was much more able to have that light touch leadership. So I think, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a composite leader who who had all of those skills? But I, but I think it's very rare that you get that type of leader. So, uh, you know, I mean, what do you think? Look, I, I would say even the best bosses, you sort of grow out of them. So yeah. there's a time... There's a time they, they, they've done the job they can do for you and you need to move on and, and fly yourself. And even among the people you'd consider to be your worst boss, I think you can always learn, even if it's that's what I'm never going to do with my team. <laughs> so, oh, so, big time, big time. Um, I think I've learned just as much from bad bosses as I have from good bosses, to be honest. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So if we now move on to you as as the leader, I suppose, first of all, a point on context. Has the challenge changed for the, let's call it, the millennials coming into leadership roles now as opposed to you 20-plus uh, years ago? Oh, yeah, big time. Absolutely. Do you know, I learned, I learned a new acronym the other day called VUCA. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it means volatile, uncertain, yeah. complex, and ambiguous, right? And that's the world we live in. You know, I, I, I think there's a massive gap in what we need to do to give them what they really need to be the next leaders. I mean, what's your experience? What I can say for sure is that in my first role, I had a, a boss who was pretty much dedicated to me and half his job was to make sure I succeeded as much as the the brand we were we were working on did well. So I had the bespoke you know, ultimate training program. And I never saw that again. You know, things are much, there's much less support. Um, it's people are stretched much, much younger. And some people do well with that. I, you know, if, if you think of the bell curve, I think there are the people who will swim in any circumstance. There's maybe the ones who will maybe sink and the other one. It's more my population that I'm interested in is that the big group in the middle and, you know, how well they will cope with, with you know a very accelerated career development and um i i just think it's it's much tougher for them than it was for us oh i think so just to get some sort of gems from your from when you were a leader of leaders a couple of quick fire ones when you were interviewing beyond the job description and all that stuff what was the sort of one thing that you were looking for <laughs> What was I looking for? You know, I think the honest answer is, unfortunately, you know, you some you always look for some somebody like yourself, which is wasn't always the best thing. But certainly, I am an interviewer. That's I'm an intuitive interviewer because, as you say, from a from a hard skill perspective, you've got the CV, you know, they've got the hard skills. Um, 
I'm always looking for leaders that basically they've got a voice, they've got an opinion, um, and they actually are very aware of the macro picture, right? Um, so I want to know what their views are on a, on on a certain thing. I want some evidence that they're thinking beyond, that they're looking at the future, and that they can convey that vision of the future. Because I think, you know, people that you manage always want the manager to have a view, to have an opinion, to have a vision, so that they can follow that leader. So I I, I was kind of always looking for that big picture okay I can do the technical stuff I know what to do in this job and this is where we're going so there, there was a future there's always a future element to me is what's your view what do you think can you communicate that because I think leaders having a vision I I think that's really important yeah and look when I listen to you the maverick side comes out much stronger than the process side, which is really. And I personally think that if I look on the sort of 20 year career, 25 year, there were less characters at the end than at the beginning and characters in terms of who, even before the word vision was sort of came into to common usage, people who had a clear opinion on things, as you said, they knew where they wanted to go and it didn't matter what head office or what the, the orthodoxy was. And I have to say, I always, I always uh, love working for those, the, the, those types of leaders. So let's, let's then go. So you were an intuitive interview, you selected your people and then they went into role. Yeah. Some of them, you know, uh, take it on very easily. Some of them will have struggles. At that point, what were the supports that you um, would uh, would provide? Well, I guess the first thing is to identify that your that your manager or your future leader is gonna is having a problem, right? And I, and again, I'm afraid I'm not a process follower, so I tend to do little and often. I like to check in um, very often just to see how people are getting on. You know, you have to be able to pick up if they're struggling, um, you know, because you as a leader, you failed if you don't realize that they're being challenged in certain ways. Right. So having that active dialogue, really checking in, even if it's just a cup of coffee, um, just to see how are you getting on, how are you finding it? You know, how can I help? Um, you know, I don't believe in micromanaging, but I do believe that you can help and you can make paths straighter. Um, I think also as much as, you know, when times are tough, people, uh, companies have stopped investing in HR. But what I have found in my last job, I had really, really good HR people who really were business partners. Um and I was able to sort of like sit down and say, okay, you know, employee X has started. I think they're struggling. What can we do? Right. And basically, again, that HR operative also having a really, really good ongoing dialogue with that, with that individual. Um, talking for me is really, really important. You know, and I think all too often, 
you know, when people are get, you know, when when people are assigned coaches or this, that, and the other, it's not seen as a mark of success. It's seen as a mark of failure. So you have to have this ongoing dialogue. Okay, I can see you're struggling. What can we do to help? Let's work on this together, right? You know, that sounds idealistic, but really, that's what you've got to do. I think. You know, you have to listen. You have to see. The other thing I've also done as well is I've spoken to their direct reports, you know, not because I want chief sneaks to tell me, you know, well, how is he working out? But it's also, you know, how are you getting on? What do you think so far? So it's it's really asking their direct reports how they're getting on with this new individual as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I immediately went to the question of what support you provided and, and you've brought me back correctly to, well, first of all, you know, what, what what's the issue we're trying to solve? And, and I have to say, from a personal point of view, the greatest support I ever had was when I was a GM for the first time, there was a, a HR business partner, let's call her that, in the office. And she, you know, whatever, even though she was, let's say, maybe lowly ranked within the hierarchy, she was the most useful single person, single person in the office for me and was the one feeding back all the, you know, you could have done that better or are you watching out for this? And she was worth her weight in gold. So I, I you know, I really, I, I really agree. And it's just a matter of if you don't have that naturally, if that person isn't there, how do you get them? Because I think they are, um, they're, they're absolutely vital. So oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I'd had I hadn't had particularly brilliant experience with HR previously, but the last two HR people I've worked with, um, they were invaluable to me. Right, I, I could ask them to pop into my office for five minutes. We discuss something because, you know, in times of change when we're all going through restructure and all this kind of stuff. You've got to have a partner in HR, um, and it, 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 you know I think I've been too too quick to dismiss the value previously. Whereas it was a big learning for me what a good HR partner can give you as a leader as well. Yeah, and and let's let let's go back to the actual individuals. Then, what were the what were the typical issues that we're presenting? Uh, what were the common ones? And I know you, you you managed, you know, probably hundreds of people over over those years. But could you distill it in the a few things that were the the common ones? Yeah, do you know, um, you're right. I've, I've you know I've recruited a lot of people, and um, you know, I've had I've had very interesting teams and stuff like this. You know, I remember one one individual in particular, and I think it's a, a good example. Um, some leaders think that knowledge is power, right? And knowledge is not to be disseminated. And I believe in completely the opposite. You know, you have to communicate. You have to communicate to your team what is going on. And this one individual uh, um, basically just did not communicate. It was on a need-to-know basis. You don't need to know that. It's only me at my level that needs to know it. Um, that doesn't engender sort of teamwork, actually. And, you know, his direct reports were always coming to me and, me and saying, well, I didn't know that. 
How are we meant to get involved? If we don't know what's happening, how can we do what we need to do? Um, so I think leaders really, really do need to be excellent communicators. And I think these days, when you've got such a flattening of structures and where you're now, you know, quite often you have to lead across so many different functions and so many different technical areas, you have to communicate. Um, and I think the other thing is as well is leaders who don't really understand the vision of where they're going cannot communicate it as well. And if you haven't got that clearly articulated vision, look, why are we doing this? What does success look like? How do we know when we've been good, right? Yeah. If they can't communicate that to the team, very, very difficult to get that team working as one um, around that common mission. So, you know, I, I really do think that leaders that cannot articulate what they're working for and what their team should be working for really will struggle. Yeah, well, especially uh, not to make this a COVID-19 discussion, but I think um, that ability to communicate remotely, which many people find difficult, um, is, 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 is even more important. So just... I'm just conscious that we could we could go on. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, you know, James, you just said you just said something very interesting there. You know what I was saying about you know um, when I was speaking to my um, resident millennials here at the moment about their training courses. You know, doing the same ones we were doing 25 years ago. What you said there about you know managing remote workers. So you know we are in a situation where everybody's a remote worker at the moment. But how many? courses are there on managing remote workers you know working at home is the way of the future you know with technology with digital with you know ai with everything that's coming down the pipe we have to be training people how to manage remotely better because that is a skill in itself it's very different to somebody just being able to pop into somebody's office for five minutes and discussing so you know i, I that kind of like you know you highlighted there it's you know a, a big difference from when we started our careers versus what millennials are facing now yes so sharon i i'm going to ask you the 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 toughest question of all because there's, there's lots more we could chat which is if you're imagining as you say the millennials starting out uh, first time general manager role or first time head of r d uh what would what would be the advice you would give them in terms of what they should be watching out for uh, and focus on their efforts. Right. Uh, ooh, you know, I don't want to give you a cookie cutter answer here, but there are some cookie cutter things. Like the, the importance of network is absolutely paramount, right? So sometimes, especially new leaders, they get overwhelmed with the amount of work and it's head down, right? Don't put your head down. You have to lift your head and you have to look across the organization and find that network that's going to help you, right? And one of the things that I probably learned way too late in my career, how important it is for new leaders to have a sponsor in the company, a senior sponsor, somebody that you can go to for advice confidentially, and somebody who's basically going to champion you, who's, you know, when you're not in a meeting and your name is brought up and they go, oh, yeah, X, 
great person, really, really good future talent. Um, so network, sponsor, I've already mentioned communication, talk to people, really, you know, every time I've had a new role, I've sat down with each individual in my team just to understand what makes them tick. Um, because that is really, really important. Because, you know, I remember one of my best bosses, we had that first one-to-one. He wanted to know what was really, really important to me. And for me, it was my kids. And I didn't want to miss anything with my children. And he allowed me to change my work schedule. He allowed me to do the work in a way that allowed me not to have to compromise on things that mattered to me because he trusted me. Um, so really, really talk to your direct reports and understand what motivates them um, so that you can speak to it and you can cater for it. And then, of course, communication. Communication is key. Talk, communicate, um, over-communicate. <laughs> I know that's my own bias, but really um, people want to hear from you. They want to know what's going on. And I think lastly is don't be afraid to have a voice. Have your own opinion. Um, you know, again, there's some feedback from the millennials I've got here at the moment is that they want their leaders to have a point of view. They want their leaders not to just, you know, do, um, you know, colour by numbers. They actually want to hear what they think what their vision is so that they can follow that. So make sense. Look, you, you, you've done the summary for me and I, and I really <laughs> appreciate that. I, I, I think that what I, what I take out as I listen is that the maverick nature and, 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 and being true to that, I, I really like because I think there's, there's often too much conformity and, and so much is lost, lost with that. So, look, that has been a fascinating discussion. I think we could definitely do a part two, uh, a sequel in a, in a future series. So, look, Sharon, a real pleasure. And thanks very much for that. Oh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.